Good evening. My name is Brittany Holdsworth. I'm on staff part-time with Orchard Hill Church doing kids ministry, and I'm also a college student like you for the sixth year in a row. Thank you. Thank you. I know you're thinking, are you going to med school? No, I'm not. I am, though, uh, studying to be a nurse. Do I have any nursing students in here in the house? I'll be praying for you. It's not easy. Um, I'm super excited and honored to be up here tonight wrapping up this parable series. I think this series has revealed to us the genius of Jesus, how brilliant he is, and that whenever he spoke, his words never remained at the surface, but instead they cut deep and they revealed the mysteries of God, the reality of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And they even exposed and prodded at the souls of the people who heard his words then and us who get to hear them now, all by simply telling some stories. And tonight's parable is no exception, so without further ado, um, I would like everyone to open up their Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, and we'll be starting in verse 14. So, um, Matthew is one of the four men who wrote an account of Jesus' life, and his is the first recorded in the New Testament. If you're using an NIV Bible, which I think most of these are, the title of the parable will be the parable of the bags of gold. Maybe another one would read the parable of the talents. Um, Before we dive in, I want to set the scene of what's happening in this passage. So Jesus is getting to the near near end of his ministry, his time on earth, and he's spending time with his disciples, answering some of their questions about what it's going to be like when he leaves, and especially when he comes back. And the disciples had some questions about that. And in the previous chapter, it says that Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of age? So then Jesus starts to tell a couple stories of what it will be like when he returns to earth. He first tells the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, which I urge you to read despite the title. That's a joke, thank you. And then um, he then tells this next parable. (laughs) Thanks, Derek. Um, of what it will be like when he returns. And when we read this scripture, I want you to pay attention to the four characters in this story, a master and his three servants, and specifically his relationship between the three. So let's start reading together in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag each according to his ability. Then he went out on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. 
Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this story, there's one master who I believe Jesus is using to represent himself. And then there are the three servants who he's using to represent us, humanity. And while reading and preparing this teaching, there were three big ideas that I found. The first two are brief, but it's the last one that I believe to be the heartbeat behind the story that Jesus is telling. So point one, Jesus is our master who has physically left earth, but promised to return. Surprise! I don't know about you, but I often forget and overlook Jesus' promise to return to earth and to reconcile our brokenness. And the truth is, we are all going to be face-to-face with Jesus someday. Whether that's when he returns to earth or when we die, if you're sitting in this chair right now, you will be face to face with Jesus. And it's so good to be reminded of that, to take a step back from our day-to-day lives, our busyness, our plans, our own dreams, and just remember that we're going to be before Jesus. Which brings me to my second point. What does that mean for our lives now? In this parable, the master called his servants to him and entrusted his wealth to them. I want you to highlight, if you can, or underline that. Entrusted his wealth. Meaning everything that the servants acquired was their master's and from their master. Given to them. Entrusted to them. And entrusted means to assign the responsibility for doing something to someone or to put something into someone's care or protection. And the master in this story gave different amounts of wealth to the three different servants, each according to their ability. And when the master came back, he wanted to know what each servant did with what he specifically gave them, not the other two servants. And that's true for us, too. At the end of our lives, Jesus does not care about comparing us to others. Instead, he looks right at each servant, he'll look right at each of us, and ask what they personally did with the wealth he uniquely gave them. 
Now, Jesus uses money as an example in this story, maybe because it paints a good picture, maybe because he knows as humans we tend to perk up and obsess about the topic, but I believe that the meaning is way deeper than just the resources or material possessions that God gives us and entrusts us with. I believe Jesus is talking about the gift that we have in knowing him. The wealth of salvation. And being saved through his blood on the cross, being given the Holy Spirit, the grace we have to now know the Father, God instilling reflections of his glory into us, gifts to use for the kingdom of heaven, Scripture says we're made in his image, meaning that we each carry qualities of the Father to use on earth. What are we doing with that? We've been entrusted with his presence, the gift of relationship with him, and different gifts to bring him glory. What are we doing with that wealth? Jesus, in this story, gives us an example of what three different people did with that wealth. Let's take another look at the first servant. It says in verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Awesome. Then the man with two bags of gold came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Once again, things are looking good. And then we get to the third servant. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take that bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. One of these is not like the other. So the third servant says to his master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed, so I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. I want you, once again, to underline or highlight what have you, verses 24 and 25. I knew you to be a hard man, so I was afraid and went out 
and hid your gold in the ground. The third servant had a skewed and wrong perception of who his master was. And he was afraid. And he hid his wealth, and he did nothing with what the master gave him and entrusted to him. The master in this story is Jesus, and the master and king of all humanity is Jesus. And the third and most important point I want to make tonight is actually knowing Jesus, really knowing him for who he says he is, is the most important thing of our lives. We cannot live a life glorifying Jesus if we don't know his heart. We can't multiply the wealth and the grace he's entrusted to us if we first don't know him for who he actually is. And there is nothing more that Jesus wants than for us to know him for who he is. And nothing breaks our father's heart more than his children not seeing him as good, as abundant, as full of fierce love for his children, kind of father. The third servant did nothing with his wealth because he didn't know his master well enough to have an accurate perception of who he was. And if we want a life that pleases Jesus when we get to the end of it, we need to know Jesus. We need to know our master. And as people, we can know a lot about someone without actually knowing them, right? We know about Abraham Lincoln, we know about Neil Armstrong, Oprah Winfrey, but do any of us know them personally? For example, who remembers Harry Styles from One Direction, one-fifth of One Direction? Curly-haired, dimpled dreamboat? Well, I was obsessed with Harry Styles. What do we have first? What's the first thing? We've got that, okay. <clears throat> this are posters from my bedroom back home and it still looks like this. <laughs> it's being preserved. Um, and then I've also got a uh, Barbie doll of Harry that I got as a high school graduation gift. Homegirl was obsessed, and I knew everything there was to know about Harry Styles. I knew about his younger sister named Gemma, his parents' divorce, his 5'10 stature, his first concert being Nickelback, and I even knew about his third nipple. <laughs> I would have a picture of that, but I wanted to ensure we don't ban our use of Lang Hall. <laughs> All of that to say, I knew Harry Styles. But did I know him personally? In my dreams, yeah. We had four children and a golden doodle named Leroy. <laughs> but I don't actually know him. And he doesn't know me. And when I went to uh, practice this teaching to Carter, he goes, and neither does he want to know you. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Sometimes hurts. <laughs> and also, so many people know about Jesus. They know every event of his life, every Bible story and character, theological perspectives on the Bible, some people know the rules. Some people know all about the rules. Anybody know somebody knows all about the rules? 
and I like to remind you of them? You can know everything about Jesus and still not know Jesus. The three servants in this story all knew about their master, but the third servant didn't actually know him. And his misinterpretation of his master influenced how he lived his life and used his resources. He let fear be his driving force. So I ask, who are you in this story? Which servant? Are you living in the freedom of believing that everything you have is from God? Do you know his heart for you and that he abundantly wants to give all of himself to you? And then are you letting him multiply what he's entrusted specifically to you? Or like the third servant, do you believe God to be a hard man? Are you afraid to do anything with your life, especially for him, because you don't really know his heart and his love for you? You don't really know him. For the first 19 years of my life, I was the third servant. I knew God to be angry, distant, a grumpy judge waiting for me to mess up. I was told in church growing up that he loved me, but I somehow even skewed that and thought his love to be angry for me, like he had to be. It wasn't until I encountered Jesus on UNI's campus my freshman year that his heart was revealed to me. My eyes were opened to his heart for me for the first time. And I transitioned from a perspective from a heart from a mind of a third servant to one of the first two. I started to trust God and do something with the grace and love he'd given me. Getting a taste of his goodness and love just propels you into chances of experiencing more and more of it. When my own view of God changed from a God of fear to a God of love, I started to know more and more of who Jesus was. And then I started to let him use my life, my messiness, my goofiness, my relationships, everything just for him. And at the end of my life, or when Jesus returns, I want to be the servant that he looks at and says, well done. You've been faithful with a few things. Come and share your master's happiness. I want to continue to say yes to more of what God wants to entrust me with and do something with it. And I have seen him do incredible, unthinkable things when I just simply said yes. And I've seen people in my life with hard, skeptic hearts towards God who are afraid, who have anxiety, start to loosen their grips and become free once they encounter Jesus for who he really is. Also, it's never too late ever too late to correct your view of God. For example, at age 54, my dad, on a mountain in Haiti, had his perspective change of who his father is. He saw his father's heart for the first time, 
And all those years of skepticism and walls came tumbling down. It's never too late to ask God just to help you see him for who he really is. We cannot live a life for God until we know God. And the good news is, friends, all God wants is for us to know him. That's all he wants. He doesn't need us to do a thing for him. He just desires deep, intimate relationship with each one of his children. Everything else will follow. The more you know the Father, the more you'll trust him. And the more you trust him, more is revealed about him. And the more that's revealed about him, the more we will want to respond with our whole lives as worship for him. It's the most incredible journey that if you're willing, he would love to take you on for the rest of your life. Knowing the heart of our master, believing and perceiving him for who he actually is, is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about our lives. I'm going to invite the band up now. And um, I'm going to ask you guys some questions to think about just with you and God once we go into a time of reflection. First one is, uh, which servant do you identify with? The beauty of when Jesus speaks is no one's left out. Meaning that if you heard this tonight, it's, it's not if you're a servant, it's which servant. Honestly, look at your life, look at your heart, and which one are you? What do you believe about God that's not true? Maybe what's preventing you right now from knowing a lot about Jesus to actually knowing Jesus. And at any point, just ask God to reveal his heart to you, which I'm going to do. So would you all pray with me? Father, we just turn our faces towards you and we say we're here. God, it, for some people in this room, it's been a long time since you've heard from your kids, but you don't care. You just see our faces and you are so delighted that we ever turn to you, no matter what we've done, no matter how long it's been, and no matter if we ever have before. God, you love us, you like us, you delight in us. You are the best kind of dad, best kind of father we could ever imagine. And Jesus, I ask that anything we believe about you, anything we believe about the father that is not true, that you just show us who you really are. You are dying for us to know you for who you really are. And when we know you for who we really are, who you really are, it's game over. It's game over. We'll be set ablaze to be used on this earth for you. Most importantly, we'll just know our Father. All you want is us. All you've ever wanted is us. Jesus, I just ask for every heart in this room tonight that you lead us closer to you.
Show us what that means. Gosh, it can be so confusing. What does it mean to know you, to go into relationship with you? You are the best leader, and you will show us if we ask.